Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Thank you for tuning in to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay, Quillette's Canadian editor. Earlier this month, I traveled to Copenhagen, where I met Kay Zander Mellish, an American-born author who has lived in Denmark for almost 20 years, during which time she has become a well-known expert on the subject of Danish culture. Her most recent book is titled How to Live in Denmark. As it turned out, my visit was well-timed. Shortly after my trip to Copenhagen, Amnesty International released a high-profile report on Denmark in which the human rights group alleged that Denmark is plagued by what Amnesty calls, quote, a pervasive rape culture. As a frequent visitor to this highly advanced and progressive country, I found that claim to be quite surprising. So after seeing the news about the report in the New York Times, I called Ms. Mellish on Skype and interviewed her about the Amnesty International report and the larger question of what life is really like in Denmark for women and for everyone else. Here are excerpts from our conversation. Amnesty International is telling us that Denmark has a rape culture. As someone who has lived in the country for almost 20 years, does that ring true to you? When I read in the Times this morning that Denmark had a pervasive rape culture, according to Amnesty International, and endemic impunity for rapists, I just thought, this is nonsense. This is not the country that I know. I think Amnesty International must be looking for donations. I am a woman. I have a daughter. I spend a lot of time talking to women in their 20s. This is not something people talk about. It isn't even uh, the top line in, for the local feminist organizations. I have no idea where they got this. What is the priority of Danish feminist organizations these days? Helping new newcomers to Denmark, particularly immigrant women, get more access to Danish culture and uh, better education and better integration in the job market. Sexual assault is, of course, a very serious subject, but let's move on to the more general issue of gender relations in Denmark. Broadly speaking, how would you describe the culture of sex and dating in Denmark? I believe you once mentioned to me that Danish men are actually somewhat passive. They are true. Um, I speak a lot to newcomers to Denmark, and I say, here in Denmark, it is usually the woman that makes the first move. Danish men have been soaked in feminism since the 1970s. So they're a little shy. They don't, you know, they don't even want to open the door for somebody because they don't want to offend them. So this is not a culture of aggressive masculinity. When you say Danish men have been soaked in feminism since the 1950s, uh, does Denmark have its own iconic feminist figures uh, who have been influential within that country? It, it, during the 1970s, there was a movement called the Red Stocking Movement. And that was a time also when there was a lot of divorce and women were really finding themselves as individuals. And a lot of the men who are, you know, age 50 and under grew up in that environment. So they are used to strong women. I'm looking at the latest statistics from an organization called the European Institute for Gender Equality. And it actually has Denmark sitting in the number two spot on their index, with Sweden being in the number one spot. Notwithstanding the somewhat lurid 
Amnesty International report. Would you say Denmark is a good place to be a woman in a way that matches these statistics? Oh, yeah, I think it's an excellent place to be a woman. I think that women's voices are listened to here and respected. You know, there's always, you'll meet a few uh, fools who are old-fashioned chauvinists. But in general, uh, women are taken quite seriously here. You've raised your own daughter in Denmark. I also know that you and your family, you you travel back to the United States, to the Midwest, uh, where you're originally from. When you compare your daughter's views on feminism more generally, how would you say the Danish understanding of feminism as it's taught in schools differs from what you might experience in the United States or Canada? Well, the Danes are very practical people. You can stop any conversation in Denmark by saying, ah, that's impractical. So Danish feminists want something that can take place, that can be done. They're not as interested in uh, theory as people in the United States might be. I think you mentioned to me once that the Danes have a sort of uh, wicked sense of humor that sometimes is unsettling to people from other countries, even from other Scandinavian countries. Would you say that the Danes are more politically incorrect than their neighbors? They're extremely politically incorrect. And you are expected to be able to take a joke, no matter what that joke is, and then be able to fire back with your own joke. It is not a place for people who are easily offended. When we met in Denmark, you told me that there is actually a very strong, sometimes overpowering expectation that women enter the workforce and if they have children, maybe put their children in daycare. Does this amount to a system that conservatives might describe as anti-traditional or even anti-family? It's just a different way of looking at the world. I mean, it has Denmark has one of the highest rates of female workforce participation in the world. It's about 71%. It's also one of the highest in Europe, I think. And for kids going to daycare, about 90% of kids go to daycare, including the kids from the royal family. The daycare is excellent. Your children are taken care of by professionals, and they learn the basics of getting along with other people, which is the basis of the Danish educational system, emotional intelligence. So the daycare is good. My kid went to daycare. Is it accurate to say that for a woman who wants to pursue a, shall we call it, traditional lifestyle of staying at home while the husband works, that it's actually quite difficult to do that? Uh, Yes, it's very difficult for a woman or a man, if he chooses, uh, to say, I want to be a full-time parent. The tax structure is simply not set up for that. I have a friend whose uh, husband is very successful and quite wealthy, but the government takes, you know, more than 50% of his income. So it's really not feasible for just one person to stay home. I believe you told me that the need for skilled workers actually works to the advantage of women. Could you describe how that works? Here in Denmark, salaries are extremely high. Uh, The minimum wage is roughly 18 US dollars an hour, but most people get much more than that. So if you hire a worker, you need full value of that worker. You need to be able to really draw on their expertise at all times. So there's not really any room for dead wood. That means that if you hire a woman or a man, you are going to need all the expertise they can possibly give to your project. So you can't have a situation where the women are kind of silenced. You can't afford that. Yet at the same time, you describe a sort of practical approach. So would you say there's less emphasis on some of the more abstract gender studies theorizing about women in the workplace and perhaps more respect for their day-to-day concerns? Here in Denmark, the workday really is seven and a half hours long. So if you start at eight, you're on your way home by 3.30. Most offices you'll see are pretty much empty at five. 
Now, some of those people may log on again after the kids are in bed. But in general, there's a real respect for limited working hours. And that allows both women and men with uh, young children to engage fully in the labor market. Not only can you pick up your kid from daycare at a predictable time, but there's time to, you know, go shopping together, maybe cut up the vegetables together, make dinner together, have story time before again bedtime, and maybe you want to log on again and do a little bit more work. Uh, but there's not that constant press to say uh, to stay late at the office, which you see in other parts of Europe, particularly Southern Europe, like Portugal and Italy. I think there's a lot more respect in Denmark for tradespeople. Somebody is an excellent carpenter, an excellent plumber. Uh, that is a respectable job. That is respectable as being a, you know, a marketing manager or some sort of a white collar job. And the good thing about having a tradesman or tradeswoman type of job is, you know, it ends at the end of the day. You can't do much plumbing at home after uh, after bedtime. You told me an interesting story about a highly educated woman, I believe she was from Italy, who came to Denmark. Could you describe her impressions? A big part of my job is uh, traveling around Denmark and helping internationals uh, integrate a little bit better with the Danish workforce. So I meet a lot of people from uh, Southern Europe because the economy is simply stronger here than it is in Southern Europe. There are more opportunities for jobs. And I was chatting with a, a young Italian woman and she said, you know, look, in Italy, I would never contradict my boss, particularly if it was an older man. That is simply not done in my culture. But again, here it is expected. If someone hires you, they want your expertise. They're going to be more angry if you do not give your expertise when it's requested. Disagreeing with your boss is totally fine if you save your boss from making a stupid mistake. I believe you told me that it's actually very easy for workers to be fired in Denmark. And this creates a certain kind of dynamic in the workforce that's not altogether negative. Is that true? Yes, the average Danish employee in the private sector only stays at a job for about 2.5 years. Some of that's because they choose to move on, but it's also very easy for the employer to get rid of you. Because you don't have that, you don't have that, um, because you don't have the uh, litigation culture that you might have in the U.S. or in Canada. Uh, so when they don't need you anymore, they simply clip you off. But you have that social welfare safety net, so you don't have that uh, culture of fear. People are not terrified they're going to lose their uh, medical care or lose the ability to send their kids to university because that's paid for by general taxes. You talked about how the trades are quite respected in Denmark. Is that something that perhaps blunts the political force caused by blue-collar male voters rising up against knowledge workers in places like the United States, has that acted to buffer some of the toxic politics we've seen in other countries? Absolutely not. Denmark was way out ahead of Donald Trump and other people afraid of immigration. Uh, that began in the late 90s, early 2000s, interestingly, mostly led by women. And still, the extreme right in Denmark. We have a new extreme right. Uh, we have a new extreme right party, also led by a woman. The fear was is that people coming from outside would push down the high wages traditionally enjoyed by blue collar people, which to some extent has happened. You can get a really sharp uh, plumber or carpenter from Estonia or Poland or Lithuania who will take a lot less than a Danish carpenter. 
So there's a lot of cases of social dumping. And this was the reason that the uh, the right-wing party, the Danish People's Party, originally uh, gained force. It is kind of a mix of disaffected socialists, people who were working class and saw their uh, salaries going down and were also angry about immigration at the same time. That party is still extremely powerful to the extent that even the Social Democratic Party uh, here in Denmark, which is the left of center party, probably the next prime minister's party, is also signed on to some very strong anti-immigration measures. Yet at the same time, I think you mentioned that there is really no mainstream party that wants to take apart the social safety net. Well, the North Americans would be wrong if they called it socialist because there's actually more, I would say there's a lot of economic liberty here and a lot more privatization here than there is in the U.S. For example, the bus company is privatized uh, in Copenhagen, which it wouldn't be in, say, New York City. Uh, the, the bridge is, is uh, the bridge to Sweden is privatized. So there's a lot of privatization here. Uh, but Danes love the welfare state. One of the questions I ask when I go around and, and speak to Danes all over the country uh, is, what are you most proud of when it comes to Denmark? And they almost always say the welfare state. They like the fact that um, everybody can be taken care of. But the most important thing is that to be taken care of, everyone must contribute. And I think the frustration came of, uh, in the late 90s, there began to be refugees that could not be integrated. And basically, we're going to spend their lives on the social welfare support. That is not the deal. The deal is everybody puts in so everybody can take out. And when you had a group of people who appeared to just be taking out, that made the Danes really, really angry. Going back to the original conversation we were having about the Amnesty International report and rape culture, uh, much in the way that the idea of rape culture has been weaponized in the culture war by progressives, one also often hears conservatives weaponizing the idea of immigrants and refugees as sexual predators and a threat to women. Is that part of the political narrative in modern Denmark? It certainly is, and I would say that is part of the basis for this new right-wing party led by a woman. Uh, that there is, it is true that statistics show that men from non-Western countries are overrepresented in the convictions for sex crimes. Now, that's a little misleading because men from non-Western countries are generally a little bit younger than Danes as a whole, and young men are more likely to be involved in sexual crimes. But what is not brought out uh, is that their, their victims are often immigrant women. Uh, you know, the, 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 the stereotype is the evil immigrant who jumps behind the bushes and, and grabs the fair Danish maiden, and uh, that does happen. But the victims are more likely to be a woman in their own circle. 41% of the women in Danish crisis centers have immigrant backgrounds, and only 8% of the population does. And this is one of the priorities for local feminists, making sure that these women have access to services and access to a sense of independence and pride so that they can, so they are not dependent on men who may be abusing them. Sexism and sexual violence often fester in atmospheres where people don't talk openly about issues related to sexual intimacy. But you write in your book, How to Live in Denmark, that women and men sometimes seem more open to talking about sex than about their professional ambitions. Could you expand on that? Well, ambition is kind of a dirty secret in Denmark. We have something called the Yente Law, which is mean that you're not supposed to act like you're better than anyone else. It's considered extremely poor taste to uh, say how you want to be rich and famous and uh, earn lots of money and have lots of people working for you. That's considered bad taste. It's not considered bad taste to talk about sex and sexuality. Um, but the joker in the pack here is alcohol. Danes drink very, very heavily. 
Uh, and when either partner in a sexual situation, or perhaps both, has had uh, too much to drink, um, things can happen that should not happen. You have a fun chapter in your book called Danes and Beauty, in which you describe being surprised to find out after 17 years of living in the country that there is this thing called the Miss Denmark pageant. And you add, quote, quite frankly, most Danes are less interested in the beauty of people than the beauty of things, end quote. Is this a country where people get turned on by world leading architecture and industrial design? People love design. Yeah, in a Danish home, you will almost always see one or two design classics, whether it's an Arne Jakobsen chair or Jörg Jensen a silver vase. This is the sort of thing that people are proud of. Uh, if you ask a Dane, Dane you know, would he like a brand new outfit for himself or a beautiful new piece for his home, he'll almost always choose a beautiful new piece for his home. This is a home-loving, home-centered culture. That's why you hear a lot of talk about hygge, and hygge is a wonderful thing, but hygge is also very exclusionary. You're in your home with the people you love, the people you've known for a long time, and that can be lovely, but it doesn't give a lot of access for newcomers to work their way into the culture. And just for listeners who don't know what hygge is, that's, I believe it's spelled H-U-G-G-E in English transliteration, is that correct? H-Y-G-G-E. And it, it's kind of like the equivalent of Zen, or it's sort of a national spirit, uh, which translates loosely to cocooning, is that right? Cocooning or coziness, you know, you can hygge with your good old friend and have a you know, glass of wine together and chat about good things. You can hygge with your family, maybe have a nice a holiday dinner. Uh, you can hygge alone with, you know, a cup of coffee and a good book. Um, but you don't hygge with someone you just met 10 minutes ago. It's not done. So Tinder and hygge culture are at odds. I would agree that Tinder and hygge culture are at odds. Kay Zander Mellish, thank you for joining us on the Quillette Podcast. Her book is called How to Live in Denmark, and it's available on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Thank you. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.